Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday, January 19th, 2024. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and Brazil are expressing willingness to enhance bilateral relations following five decades of diplomatic ties. The UN expresses concern over the exchange of military strikes between Pakistan and Iran. A U.S. report outlines cascading failures in law enforcement during a school shooting in Texas nearly two years ago. In business, China pledges greater efforts to promote new energy vehicles. In sports, Chinese Tino faces toughest opponent yet at the Australian Open. In culture and entertainment, a stage version in Beijing of a classic Hollywood movie. Now checking the day's top stories. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's expressed the country's readiness to enhance partnership with Brazil. Wang Yi met with his Brazilian counterpart in Brasilia, adding that the two sides should take the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties as an opportunity to plan for high-level exchanges in the next phase. He also said, as the biggest developing countries in the eastern and western hemispheres, China and Brazil should strengthen unity and cooperation to jointly tackle global challenges. Uh, Mauro Vieira said Brazil is ready to strengthen communication and coordination with China and implement the major consensus between the two heads of state. He also said that he hopes this year's G20 summit in Rio will be an opportunity to enhance high-level exchanges and bilateral cooperation. During his stay in Brazil, the Chinese foreign minister is expected to co-chair a global strategic dialogue with his Brazilian counterpart. Lucretia Franco has more from Brasilia. China's Foreign Minister Wang Yi's visit to Brazil comes during the best of times. Both nations are commemorating the 50th anniversary of their diplomatic ties, and trade between the two countries is at a record high. For the first time, Brazil surpassed the milestone of 100 billion US dollars of exports to China last year, 104.3 billion dollars to be exact, according to official government data, and bilateral trade reached 150 $57.5 billion. But this visit goes beyond trade. Wang Yi and his counterpart, Brazilian Foreign Minister Mauro Vieira, will co-chair the fourth Brazilian-China Global Strategic Partnership meeting. The initiative, which was established in 2012, aims to strengthen the bilateral agenda and discuss relevant international matters between the two countries. On the table this year, Brazil's presidency of the G20 Global governance and cooperation in science, technology and innovation. It is, according to China-Brazil expert Ricardo Berzoini, a very different sort of bilateral arrangement than Brazil has experienced in the past. The relationship between Brazil and China is a balanced relationship from the perspective of mutual respect. It is different from the relationship that Brazil has had and still has with countries from the so-called G7, from the center of world capital capitalism, where the relationship is very colonialist. That is, transnational corporations come to Brazil and seek to take maximum advantage of this relationship without reciprocating. Several agreements are expected to be signed here in Brasilia. Experts point out the significance of this event as it brings together the two largest countries in Asia and Latin America, two nations that share common views on not changing but improving the international system.
That was Lucretia Franco on the Chinese foreign minister's visit in Brazil. The president of the Brazil-China Business Council says the economic relations between China and Brazil have been strengthening in recent years. Luis Neves says bilateral trade has reached a new milestone. In terms of bilateral trade, for the first time in history, Brazilian exports to China have surpassed the $100 billion. It's quite an achievement indeed. Last year, China and Brazil reached a deal to trade in their own currencies, and Neves says that means a lot for both sides. The point is a direct exchange between the yuan and the real could increase the competitiveness of Brazilian exports and Chinese exports because we don't have to change into U.S. dollars and then U.S. dollars to the yuan and or vice versa, yuan into U.S. dollars U.S. dollars into reais. Data shows that by the end of last year, bilateral trade between China and Brazil had exceeded 100 billion U.S. dollars for six consecutive years. China has been Brazil's largest trading partner for 15 years. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has spoken highly of the extensive high-level cooperation between Russia and China during his annual press conference on Russia's foreign policy. Lavrov highlighted the effectiveness of the Russia-China Comprehensive Strategic Partnership of Coordination. At present, our relations with China are booming in all fields. Taking economic cooperation as an example, the bilateral trade volume between Russia and China exceeded the set target of 200 billion US dollars in 2023. This development momentum will continue. Lavrov also noted that Russia and China are strengthening bilateral ties in the cultural and education sectors, with scheduled events for 2024 to provide opportunities for dialogue at various levels. The executive director of the International Energy Agency has hailed the achievement that China's made in the field of clean energy over the years. While attending the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Dr. Fatih Birol said China's developing rapidly in areas such as electric vehicles, hydrogen, nuclear power and solar energy. I see that the clean energy is moving fast and faster than many people realize. In terms of the renewables, in terms of electric cars, uh, hydrogen, nuclear power, and when I look at the uh, numbers, the data, I see that uh, China is by far number one in all of them. China is number one in solar, number one in wind, number one in electric cars, number one in new nuclear builds, and go on, go on, go on, there's uh, many other areas. Abiral also says the development of clean energy in China brings down the cost of green technology, which promotes wider use of renewables worldwide. China is doing to the international community by deploying a lot of clean energy at home, but also by deploying a lot brings the cost of these technologies down and makes it affordable many other nations around the world. So this is a big contribution from China. Uh, official data shows that uh, by the end of 2022, the proportion of non-fossil energy consumption in China had reached 17.5%. The number of new energy vehicles had reached 20 million. Former Australian Prime Minister Kevin Rudd has rejected the narrative that the Chinese economy has peaked. Uh, speaking at the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos, Rudd outlined his views on what he sees as China's still solid economic prospects. But I've never really accepted the thesis that you see written in various parts of the world about peak China. 
that somehow the uh, Chinese economy is peaking, uh, slowing, and then heading towards something worse. <coughs> and remember, the scale of the Chinese consumer market is uh, unprecedented in global economic history. Arad highlighted the Chinese consumer as a key factor in the country's economic future, noting that as long as confidence remains, the economy will continue to grow. The Chinese New Year holiday, one of the year's busiest travel seasons, is fast approaching. Cities across China are eagerly showcasing their attractions, hoping to ride the current wave of travel enthusiasm. The tourism craze is fueled by the recent boom in Harbin, where the capital of Heilongjiang province has earned a whopping 6 billion yuan in just three days. In today's special report, Wang Zihang delves into the impacts of Harbin's recent tourism boom on China's travel landscape. Welcome to Shenxi. On the popular platform Douyin, the Chinese version of TikTok, provinces and regions across the country are eagerly sharing local delights. One account even dropped 56 videos in one night, with many provinces bringing in celebrities to grab attention. The Swiss tourism director also expresses his excitement to be part of the cultural and tourism competition in China. This travel excitement is all thanks to the social media buzz in Harbin, making other cities wish they had the same spotlight. As shop owners in Harbin say, the sudden increase in visitors brings not just attention to the northeast, but a whole lot more. Tired. The crowd is large, and I clearly can't handle it myself. We normally finish work at 6 o'clock. Now on weekdays, it's extended by one or half hour. It's a bit tiring. The city's sudden popularity has exceeded the expectations of many local residents. This heavy industrial base in northeast China has been striving for years to pursue economic transformation. The unforeseen tourism boom starting from the end of last year is boosting the local economy. On the popular Central Street, it's more difficult now to rent a shop. Citywide, many businesses are trying to hire more hands to handle the surging influx of customers. At around 10 p.m. on a workday, outside an eatery that mainly serves local speciality iron pot stews, two groups of diners are still waiting for a table. This isn't a common sight in the city, where locals typically stay home during the evenings. Manager Luan Xinran is busy welcoming guests while answering a wave of calls for reservations. These days, she often has to work late into the night. On these chilly nights when tourists gather at the door after finishing their activities around 10, we can't just say we're off for the day. It's not ideal. So our business hours keep getting extended. But Liu acknowledges the busy scene is a sweet burden. But still, we are very happy. It's like everyone says, when this sudden wealth comes to you, how can you not accept it? It's tiring, but it also means that our income has increased. It's about three times as much as before. 
Official data shows that the city, with a population under 10 million, welcomed 3 million tourists during the three-day New Year holiday, generating about 6 billion yuan, or about 830 million U.S. dollars. Seatrip, a travel booking platform, forecasts that the enthusiasm for tourism in Harbin will persist through the Chinese New Year holiday, with tourist bookings witnessing a remarkable 14-fold yearly growth. Individuals, including Luan Xinran, attribute the surge in Harbin's popularity to various factors. With the local tourism authorities playing a pivotal role. This spring season, the Harbin Harbin's spring season, the Harbin Harbin's spring season, The government has figured out what makes Harbin attractive, so they've improved services and promoted the city on social media. It's worked out well. She is preparing to employ more workers and enlarge the dining space so that they can serve more people. Across the country, the success of Harbin has also reminded people of the story of Zibo, another old industrial city that went viral last spring, also due to tourism. Vice President Yuan Shui from the China City Development Academy suggests that the phenomenon is not all down to chance. Cities like Harbin and Zibo succeeded because they focused on their unique food, history, and culture. Other cities should do the same: create diverse attractions, use what they have, and show what makes them special. As the Chinese New Year holiday is approaching, more and more Chinese cities are scrambling to jump into the water, aiming to grab a share in the holiday market. They have launched high-profile promotions, intensifying the competition in the field. But Yuan Shui believes there's a way to make the cake bigger and ensure one's success benefits others. Harbin is now inviting and interacting with many cities, fostering not just tourism but also cultural exchanges. They organized activities like student exchange programs. The forms of tourism have been enriched, and this engagement extends to various countries, sharing the benefits of the current tourism enthusiasm. With cities upping their game to allure more tourists, the spotlight on tourism is undoubtedly shining bright during the upcoming holiday. But how can these success stories ensure that their triumph is not just a passing trend? That's something more people are wondering, and industry insiders should really pay attention to. That's Wang Zhang with the special report on the recent tourism boom in the northeastern city of Harbin. Coming up, the UN expresses concern over the military strikes between Pakistan and Iran. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in. 
at 16 minutes past the hour. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has expressed deep concern over the recent exchange of military strikes between Iran and Pakistan. Uh, spokesman Stefan Dujeric said Guterres urged both countries to exercise maximum restraint to avoid a further escalation of tensions. The Secretary General had said that all security concerns between the two countries must be addressed by peaceful means. Pakistan carried out strikes early Thursday morning against what it called terrorist hideouts inside Iran. The Pakistani strike followed Iranian attacks on what Tehran had called terrorist bases in Pakistan on Tuesday. Ahsan Kivani has more from Tehran. Iranian provincial officials say in the early hours of Thursday, a village in the Iranian southeastern province of Sistan and Baluchistan, some four kilometers away from the border, was hit by three missiles fired from drones inside Pakistan. Four houses were demolished, and according to state reports, at least nine people, including three women and four children, were killed. Iran's foreign ministry immediately condemned the attack and summoned Pakistan's charge d'affaires in Tehran to offer for explanations for the strikes. This comes less than a week before the incident, a Pakistani naval fleet docked at Iran's southern port city of Bandar Abbas. The fleet participated in a joint military exercise with the Iranian forces in the Persian Gulf. Regional as well as national security matters to both Iran and Pakistan and following Pakistan's retaliatory move, officials both in Tehran and Islamabad seem to be willing to exercise restraint and to prevent further war of war. Pakistan's foreign ministry says the country fully respects the sovereignty and territorial integrity of Iran and that Iran is a brotherly country. After Iran targeted terrorist bases in Syria, Iraq, Kurdistan and Pakistan, what Iranian officials are clearly saying is that Iran is militarily capable of pinpointing targets in the range of 1,500 kilometers and no matter where, the country will react to any threats against its national security. On Thursday, the Iranian army and the Islamic Revolution Guard Corps started a joint air defense exercise across the country. That was Asan Kavani reporting. Pakistani experts emphasize the role of dialogue and cooperation to ease the escalating tensions between Pakistan and Iran. Daniel Khan spoke with defense analyst Sultan Holly to find out more. The strikes have raised concerns about regional stability, especially amid rising tensions and ongoing conflicts across the Middle East. Experts say there's a need for dialogue and cooperation to resolve bilateral tensions. A tit-for-tat action has been taken. So it's high time that we sit down on the negotiation table and talk it out like civilized human beings rather than taking this a few notches higher and resorting to force. And especially for Pakistan, it is already having hostilities you know, on two fronts, the Afghan front as well as the Eastern front. The Pakistan army says the strikes were carried out on hideouts used by terrorist organizations including the Balochistan Liberation Army and the Balochistan Liberation Front. China says it is willing to mediate between the two nations as Pakistan and Iran are close partners of Beijing and members of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. A statement coming from China and being the first one to comment on it and even offer its services for mediation was very welcome. China can play a 
an important role as a mediator and stop this uh, madness because uh, I will call it madness in the current scenario. In a statement, the Foreign Office said Pakistan desires peaceful relations with all countries, including Iran, but not at the cost of its security and sovereignty. Amidst ongoing regional tensions, experts say it is crucial for both countries to exercise restraint to avert the further escalation of this crisis. That was Daniel Khan reporting from Islamabad. Houthi rebels in Yemen have uh, claimed to have carried out a missile attack against an American cargo ship striking the vessel. Houthi military spokesperson Brigadier Yahya Sari says the attack took place in the Gulf of Aden. The naval forces of the Yemeni armed forces have carried out a targeting operation against U.S. ship Chem Ranger in the Gulf of Aden using a number of suitable naval missiles. The hit was precise and direct. Remains unclear exactly when that purported attack occurred. The spokesperson said the attack was in retaliation to strikes by the United States against the Houthis. The U.S. Central Command said the latest U.S.-led strikes destroyed two Houthi anti-ship missiles that were aimed into the southern Red Sea and prepared to launch. Sarah Coates has more from Tel Aviv. The United States has confirmed this fifth round of strikes against Houthi assets in just the space of a week. Uh, it says that the Yemen-based rebel group fired yet again on another U.S.-owned ship in the Red Sea. And despite Houthi claims, uh, CENTCOM says there were no injuries, there was no damage to this ship. And look, this Red Sea international shipping route has really been targeted by the Houthis since November. Uh, the Yemen-based group says that it will continue. While this is, of course, despite this U.S. designation as a terror organization. It will continue until Israel pulls out of Gaza. Now, China has also weighed in. It says it is monitoring this situation in that Red Sea shipping channel. The Houthis say that they will allow safe passage for not only Chinese ships, but also Russian ships, but added that any ships connected to Israel or traveling to Israel will continue to be targeted. That was Sarah Coates reporting. A Chinese expert says the European Union is seeking strategic independence in tackling the mounting tension in the Red Sea by planning an independent naval mission instead of joining the U.S.-led coalition. Washington formed the Prosperity Guardian Coalition in December in response to the Houthi attacks in the Red Sea. But several EU diplomats have said many EU countries have agreed to form an independent naval mission as early as next month. Professor Tsui Hongjian with the Beijing Foreign Studies University highlighted the EU's quest for strategic autonomy and prioritizing self-determination in defense matters. Europe wants to conduct the Red Sea Escort Mission independently. This indicates Europe's desire to make its own decisions in strengthening defense capabilities and achieving security and autonomy, and take the safety matters in their own hands. The expert also noted that the EU now holds different ideas with the U.S. on many issues, including the Palestine-Israel conflict. On the Palestine-Israel conflict, most European countries hold different stances with the United States. As for tension in the Red Sea, the European countries believe the most pressing need is to calm the tense situation instead of adding fuel to the fire. Well, tensions have escalated in the Red Sea following U.S.-led airstrikes on Houthi military targets after repeated Houthi attacks on commercial shipping. The Houthis claim that the attacks are in response to the ongoing Israeli military campaign in the Gaza Strip. 
The United States uh, States has launched a, a new round of strikes against Houthi anti-ship missiles aimed at the Red Sea. A Houthi spokesperson says Yemeni forces carried out a missile attack against a U.S. cargo ship in the Gulf of Aden. The spokesperson says the attacks came in retaliation to strikes by the U.S. Meanwhile, in the Gaza Strip, Israeli forces advanced into the southern city of Khan Yunus. Heavy fighting was reported near Nasser Hospital, the biggest hospital still functioning in the enclave. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu told his U.S. allies that he objects to any Palestinian statehood. The United Nations says it's deeply concerned by ongoing attacks on civilian infrastructure and the safety of civilians in the northeast of Syria. UN spokesperson Stefan Dujeric said the situation is deteriorating. Over the past week, multiple airstrikes at Al Hasake have led to civilian casualties and caused significant damage to several facilities, including power stations and oil production fields, which could negatively impact the availability of gas, fuel, and electricity going forward. Dujeric said more than 1,500 family tents have been damaged by floods over the past two weeks, including uh, shelters provided to survivors of last year's devastating earthquakes. And huge amounts of assistance and supplies are needed. Humanitarian Partners report also that tents in Afrin and Salquin are particularly affected by persistent rainfall. And they said that additional shelter, food, ground insulation, heating materials, road repairs are urge all urgently needed. Muddy conditions are disrupting children's access to schools and families' ability to reach critical services within the displacement camps. And he also stressed that the humanitarian response has been significantly underfunded. Well, families of victims of the deadly school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, have expressed frustration and division after the Justice Department released a report revealing what it describes as cascading failures in law enforcement's response to the massacre. Brett Cross, whose nephew was killed in the tragedy, said that he hopes the investigation shows the community what happened that day. Maybe y'all will start taking us seriously now instead of telling us to sweep it under the rug and not doing a damn thing about it. We need our community. This is, it's hard enough waking up every day and continuing to, to walk out on these streets and walk to an HEB or drive to an HEB and see a cop that you know was standing there while our babies were murdered and bleeding out. The report catalogs a sweeping array of problems in police training, communication, leadership, and technology that federal officials say contributed to the crisis lasting far longer than necessary. Uh, the shooting at Robb Elementary School in May of 2022 killed 19 children and two staff members. At the time of the attack, terrified students inside classrooms called 911 and agonized parents begged officers to go in. As Uvalde struggles with trauma and remains divided on the issue of accountability, District Attorney Christina Mitchell is considering whether to bring criminal charges charges. Tennessee's reported at least 14 deaths linked to a severe winter storm that's blanketed much of the state in snow and sent temperatures plummeting. Uh, warming shelters have opened all across Tennessee as more snow is expected. In Nashville, community worker Will Compton was canvassing the city's downtown to provide winter weather supplies. So on those nights, we get a group of volunteers and staff people as needed to canvas the downtown area and check on people who are staying outside, um, make sure they have warming supplies that they need to survive, offer rides to the shelter, 
and just in general educate them about their shelter options if they decide to go in later. Temperatures plunged to minus 18 degrees Celsius in parts of the state. Uh, the storms have also forced some schools and government offices to close. We're at 28 minutes past the hour, checking the forecast ahead of the break, and uh, Beijing is down to minus 5 degrees on Friday evening. Saturday, we'll see some cloudy conditions, the high reaching zero on the day. Uh, Nanchang will see a light rainfall with a low of 6 tonight. Tomorrow's overcast, and the high is 8 in Asia. Uh, elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's 4 this evening, sunny and 19 on Saturday. Vientiane's at 20 overnight. Tomorrow, cloudy conditions, the high is 33. But on Penn's 23 this evening, followed by cloudy skies and 35 degrees. In Africa, Nairobi will see a light rainfall with a high of 28 degrees Celsius on Saturday. Kampala will have a light rain with a low of 21 this evening. The rain continues through the day tomorrow with a high of 26. Juba's at 22 tonight. Tomorrow, sunny conditions and 38. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and Brazil are expressing willingness to enhance bilateral relations following five decades of diplomatic ties. The UN expresses concern over the exchange of military strikes between Pakistan and Iran. And a U.S. report outlines cascading failures in law enforcement during a school shooting in Texas nearly two years ago. Shane Begum with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. I love you. This might be the easiest way to say I love you, since there are so many other romantic expressions. No matter if you are a rookie, or a sophisticated learner, there is definitely something that will interest you. Check out Takeaway Chinese, a world that starts with 你好. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Friday. Still to come. In business, China pledges greater efforts to promote new energy vehicles. In sports, a Chinese teen will face his toughest opponent yet at the Australian Open. In culture and entertainment, a stage version in Beijing of a classic Hollywood movie. Contact us, you can email radio at cgtn.com or follow our X account, formerly Twitter, at CGTN Radio. First of all, with the day's headline news, here's Wang Zihang. Thank you, Shane. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has expressed the country's readiness to enhance partnership with Brazil. Wang Yi met his Brazilian counterpart Mauro Vieira in Brasilia, adding that the two sides should take the 50th anniversary of diplomatic ties as an opportunity to plan for high-level exchanges in the next phase. He also said as the biggest developing countries in the eastern and western hemispheres, China and Brazil should strengthen unity and cooperation to jointly tackle global challenges. Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has spoken highly of the extensive high-level cooperation between Russia and China. During his annual press conference on Russia's foreign policy, Lavrov highlighted the effectiveness of the Russia-China Comprehensive Strategic Partnership of Coordination. At present, our relations with China are booming in all fields. Taking economic cooperation as an example, the bilateral trade volume between Russia and China exceeded the set target of 200 billion US dollars in 2023. This development momentum will continue. 
Lavrov also noted that Russia and China are strengthening bilateral ties in the cultural and education sectors, with scheduled events for 2024 to provide opportunities for dialogue at various levels. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres has expressed deep concern over the recent exchange of military strikes between Iran and Pakistan. Spokesperson Stefan Drudarek said Guterres urged both countries to exercise maximum restraint to avoid a further escalation of tensions. Yemen's Houthi group claims to have carried out a missile attack against an American cargo ship. A spokesperson with the group says the attack took place in the Gulf of Aden. <laughs> The naval forces of the Yemeni armed forces have carried out a targeting operation against U.S. ship Chem Ranger in the Gulf of Aden using a number of suitable naval missiles. The hit was precise and direct. It remains unclear exactly when the purported attack occurred. The spokesperson said the attack was a retaliatory move against the U.S. Meantime, the U.S. Central Command says the latest U.S.-led strikes has destroyed two Houthi anti-ship missiles. North Korea has tested an underwater nuclear weapon system in its eastern waters. The Korean Central News Agency says the test was in response to joint naval exercises by the United States, South Korea, and Japan. Election officials in Washington State have confirmed that Donald Trump's name will remain on the Republican presidential primary ballot. It came after a state judge dismissed a lawsuit that tried to disqualify him based on the Fourteenth Amendment, which bars anyone who engaged in insurrection from holding public office. Although similar complaints have been filed in dozens of states, so far only Colorado and Maine have removed Trump, removed Trump from the ballots. A U.S. House committee has approved a bill to create a bipartisan commission that will tackle the country's soaring debt and make policy recommendations to Congress. The federal government's increasing level of debt is now at more than $34 trillion. Representative Joe D. Arrington from Texas says they have to intervene. People need to understand the magnitude of this problem. They need to understand how much worse it's getting and how catastrophic and even irreparable the consequences can be if we don't intervene. The bill will ask the commission to recommend ways to balance the budget at the earliest possible date. It also calls for improving the long-term solvency of Medicare, Social Security, and other programs paid for through trust funds. Tens of thousands of public sector workers have launched a 24-hour strike in Northern Ireland, protesting the political deadlock that has left them without pay increases. What do we want? Pay party. When do we want it? We are the lowest-paid midwives in, in the UK, um, and, and there's no reason why that should be the case. Until we get equality, until we get fairness, everybody else is getting across the UK. I'll strike as long as I can. The strike is the biggest walkout in years in Northern Ireland, with about 150,000 teachers, nurses, bus drivers, and others hitting the picket line. The regional government has not functioned for almost two years since one of the two power-sharing parties walked out in a dispute over post-Brexit trade rules. Thank you very much. That was Wang Zihong with Headline News. This is Shane Begum in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, China pledges greater efforts to promote new energy vehicles. The Zimbabwean government is advising farmers to halt crop planting due to drought fears. The southern African country is expected to experience a short and intense farming season disrupted by the El Nino phenomenon. 
This week on Climate Watch, we delve into the challenges faced by Zimbabwe's agricultural sector amidst the escalating weather anomalies. Subscribe to Climate Watch on your favorite podcast platforms. 37 past the hour. Turning to business, and here's Tianlu. Thank you, Shane. The Chinese mainland markets closed lower on Friday. Wang Ying has more. The Shanghai Composite Index lost 0.47%, while the Shenzhen Component Index was 0.68% down. China is likely ramping up efforts to rescue the market after some exchange-traded funds tracking key indices saw daily turnover spikes, suggesting state-backed funds may be lending support. Coal stocks and the photovoltaic industry led to declines, dropping 1.9% and 2.3% respectively. Bucking the downward trend, stocks related to Apple's supply chain gained, with Foxconn Industrial Internet jumping 3.6% and luxury precision industry rising 2.2%. The Chinese electronic chemical producer estimates its 2023 net profit soared to 100 to 238% young year to 160 million yuan to 100. That was Wang Ying in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index dropped over 0.5%. In Japan, the Nikkei increased 1.4%. China's top economic regulator has pledged more efforts to promote new energy vehicles and foster high-quality development of the industry. Last year, NEVs accounted for nearly 32% of total vehicle deliveries in China, up six points from the previous year. Jing Xiandong with the National Development and Reform Commission says plans to facilitate the industry's high-quality development include pro-consumption measures, technological innovation and infrastructure. The first is to accelerate the optimization of policies and measures to promote sales of NEVs, encourage the purchase and use of NEVs in rural areas, and expand coverage in public use. The second is to accelerate the NEVs technological innovation and improve the level of electrification and intelligent technology. The third is to accelerate the construction of a high-quality charging infrastructure system, improve operation and service, so as to provide strong support for the development of the new energy vehicle industry. China has built over 8.5 million charging facilities for NEV, ranking first in the world. The Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology has outlined several major tasks for the coming year. One of them is to keep promoting the high-quality development and large-scale application of the industrial internet. Dai Kai has details. When we talk about China's high-quality development, we have to talk about China's industrial progress as a key factor. And in 2023, China's industrial economy actually is on track of recovery, and the ICT industry has also seen a rapid development. So data from the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, or MIIT, shows that the industrial output rose 4.6 percent year-on-year in 2023, and the overall scale of the manufacturing industry has remained on top worldwide for 14 consecutive years in industrial enterprises it's either you know uh, narrowed losses or earned profits uh, since April last year so it allows many of them to expand their production so we see electric machinery and also automobiles recording double-digit growth last year um, we see China produced over 30 million cars in 2023 and it sold 30 million cars as well 
So the export of EVs, lithium batteries, and solar cells all combined surpassing 1 trillion yuan. So that is something that China has achieved for the first time ever. Meanwhile, authorities also said that they've been working on fostering new driving forces is why we see emerging industries like new materials and robotics rapidly growing. And in terms of the ICT industry, revenue of telecom services in China in 2023 grew by over 6%. And China's built over 3 million 5G base stations as computing power has ranked second in the world. So China is on its path to pursue what it calls the new industrialization, which basically means it's shifting that production model to a more technology-driven and more sustainable one. So officials believe that because of China's massive market scales and its complete industrial system and information infrastructure, uh, the country can actually sustain that momentum in the following months. That was Dai Kai reporting. Chinese authorities say the country has remained the world's top manufacturing hub for 14 consecutive years. According to the Ministry of Industry and Information Technology, the country's industrial economy improved in 2023 and the information and communication industry grew faster. Last year, the total value added of industrial enterprises above the designated size increased by 4.6%. Among them, the added value of manufacturing enterprises above designated size increased by 5%. Industrial enterprises above the designated size are those with an annual revenue from principal business of at least 20 million yuan, or about 2.8 million US dollars. The Chinese Ministry of Industry and Information Technology says the country has positioned itself to become the world's top auto exporter. Last year, China's auto exports skyrocketed by nearly 58% to a record-breaking 4.9 million vehicles. The China Association of Automobile Manufacturers estimates that the auto production and sales can both reach 31 million units this year. Both the production and sales of new energy vehicles are expected to reach 11.5 million million, with a growth rate of approximately 20%. Huang Fei spoke with industry insiders to take a closer look at the industry's latest development. 2023 saw record passenger vehicle exports from China, partly driven by the global demand for electric cars. BYD remains at the forefront of the trend, overtaking Tesla in the fourth quarter to become the world's top-selling pure electric vehicle brand. The Shenzhen company credits its success to a long-standing focus on electrification and substantial investments in technology. As one of the first companies in the world to develop electric vehicles, BYD has more than two decades of experience. We have core technologies across the entire supply chain, from battery and engines to control systems. With more than 90,000 research engineers, we've invested hundreds of billions of yuan in research and development over the years. BYD has established a strong international presence with products now available in 59 countries and regions. Your first overseas factory for passenger vehicles in Thailand uh, is set to begin production this year. What more can you tell us about your localization plans? Our Thailand factory can produce about 150,000 cars annually, catering to the entire ASEAN market. We are also building three new factories in Brazil and are set to start production in the second half of the year. Last month, we announced a new plant in Hungary. China is not only a global automotive giant in terms of quantity, 
but also quality. I believe China's vehicle exports will enjoy a new wave of opportunities to boost scale and brand awareness. As countries worldwide implement regulations to cut fuel emissions, China is poised to meet increasing demand for new energy vehicles. China's supply chain advantages and its cutthroat domestic market have propelled its products to outperform many Western legacy brands. UBS forecasts that Chinese carmakers could control 33% of the global market by 2030, nearly double their share in 2022. That was Huang Fei on China's auto industry. Technology took center stage at the World Economic Forum in Davos. At a panel on technology and humanity, OpenAI CEO Sam Altman said artificial intelligence comes with very high stakes, raising moral questions. Altman tried to temper concerns from AI skeptics. However, he admitted that ChatGPT will have to evolve in uncomfortable ways. It's easy to imagine with this one that it's going to have like massive effects on the world and that it could go very wrong. The, the technological direction that we've been trying to push it in is one that we think we can make safe, and that includes a lot of things. It's, we believe in iterative deployment, so we put this technology out into the world uh, along the way so people get used to it, so we have time as a society. Our institutions have time to have these discussions, figure out how to regulate this, how to put some guardrails in place. The CEO also says institutions need to figure out how to regulate the use of AI technologies. Generative AI systems such as ChatGPT have captivated the world by being able to rapidly spew out images, writing and computer code. The Chinese Commerce Ministry has listed scores of innovation achievements in the country's pilot-free trade zones. The ministry says the achievements have contributed to the stability of foreign trade and foreign investment and the high-quality development of industries. The fifth batch of best practices mainly focuses on aspects such as trade facilitation, resources and production factor assurance, and high-quality industrial development. The third batch of reform experiences mainly cover fields including foreign investment access, technological innovation, environmental protection, and finance. The ministry also says the achievements have facilitated enhanced collaboration and exchange of best practices among different regions. Thank you very much. That was Tian Loot with business. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, Chinese Tianol faces toughest opponent yet at the Australian Open. The Australian Open Tennis Tournament is the first Grand Slam event of the year. Join us on this week's episode of Sideline Story. We'll chat about some of the top prospects for titles, the futures of some of the greats like Novak Djokovic and Naomi Osaka, as well as some of China's top performers who will be looking to improve on the success achieved in 2023. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here's Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. At the Australian Open, Wang Yafan ended former U.S. Open champion Emma Raducanu's hopes in Melbourne after a grueling three-set battle that lasted nearly three hours. Raducanu was playing only her fourth match since returning from eight months out and three surgeries. She revealed after the match she had been feeling sick in the third set decider. Wang has set up an all-Chinese third-round tie against the 12th seed Zheng Qingwen, and she says it allows her to approach that match lightly. I think it's very good for Chinese tennis because no matter who wins the match, we will have a Chinese player in the last 16. So I will just take it as a normal competition and try my best. Meantime, Chinese teenager Xiang Junchen stayed humble about the next matchup against the second seed Carlos Alcaraz. The 18-year-old says he will take it as a learning process.
He's had amazing runs and uh, amazing matches in the Grand Slams. Um, I mean, for me, again, low expectation. I expect nothing but a really nice crowd on Rod Laver or maybe Margaret, depends on which court I play on, just to enjoy every point, every moment out there and uh, try to learn. He's a little bit older than me, already one of the best players on tour, so uh, it's going to be great. I'm going to have fun. Shan is now the only Chinese player remaining in the men's singles draw at Melbourne Park. Elsewhere at the Australian Open, women's world number one Iga Swiatek survived a major scare in a three-set win over former finalist Danielle Collins. Swiatek was on the brink of a shock exit after being broken twice and falling behind four games to one in the third set, but she managed to capitalize on nervous Collins and reeled off five straight games. Women's top five seeds Elena Rabakina and Jessica Pegula both crashed out. In men's results, Daniel Medvedev escaped from a five-set epic against Emil Rusvari in a match that finished two hours before sunrise. The unseeded Finnish player took the first two sets, but the Russian third seed showed resilience when it mattered most. Tough, tough, tough. Uh... I, I, I think the only two matches uh, I went from two sets to love down and won it was here, so <laughs> on this court. So uh, this one is gonna for sure stay in my memory. Uh, what is it like? Three. 40 in the morning? It's late. I, I, I honestly, guys, I would not be here. <laughs> Thanks for staying. <laughs> Alexander Zvirev and Kasper Ruud were both pushed to fifth set tiebreaks but managed to go through in respective matches. Novak Djokovic is into the fourth round already. The 2024 Gangwan Winter Youth Olympics officially opens on Friday, bringing the winter version of the multi-sport competition for top 10 athletes to Asia for the first time. The opening ceremony is centered around the theme of the universe and symbolizes the infinite possibilities of youth. The Games will introduce two new 1500-meter short track events, as well as new mixed-gender relay to replace the previous relay in cross-country skiing. A mixed-team Nordic combined competition will also make it stable. The Winter Youth Olympics is widely seen as a launching pad for winter sports stars, with several stars ready to capture the world's attention in the South Korean city. Atletico Madrid got the battle of Real Madrid, beating its crosstown rival 4-2 in extra time to reach the quarterfinals of the Copa del Rey. Antoine Griezmann and Rodrigo Ricolme scored after a 2-0 draw in regulation to send Atletico to the last eight. The win came less than a week after Atletico lost to Real in the semi-finals of the Spanish Super Cup in Saudi Arabia. Coach Diego Simeone says the victory was for the fans. As we arrived, we saw our fans excited and looking forward to the game, a match that is merely the round of 16 in the Copa del Rey. And seeing our fans like that made it impossible to not give our all. We were better in extra time, and I think we deserve to win. It is more important getting this victory for our fans than playing in the next round. Meantime, Barcelona picked up the pace in the second half to beat third division club Unionistas 3-1 in its round of 16 match. At the Africa Cup of Nations, Egypt lost Mohamed Salah to injury before coming from behind twice to draw two-all with Ghana in their potentially decisive group game. Mohamed Kadu scored both goals for Ghana, but the Black Stars were led down to defensive mistakes as Egypt leveled through Omar Mamouche and Mustafa Mohamed. Ghana head coach Chris Hilton says the team should have gained three points. We're up against one of the favourites in uh, Egypt. So that, that being the case, I thought the, the, our performance was excellent. 
I thought it was a game we deserved to win. Um, but uh, Egypt are a quality team with quality players and they were able to capitalise on the mistakes that we made. We need to put in the same performance in our next game to give us a chance of going through. Ghana remains at the bottom of Group B with just one point, while Egypt is second on two points behind group leader Cape Verde. Egypt's hopes of going deep at the tournament suffered a further blow when Salah limped off holding the back of his left thigh. And finally, at AFC Asian Cup, Australia became the second team to book a place knockout stage by beating Syria 1-0. Jackson Irving delivered the long goal as Aussies maintained a perfect start to their campaign. Uzbekistan joins Australia in the next round after a 3-0 win against India. Palestine boosted its hopes of advancing to the knockout stage of the Asian Cup for the first time after a one-all draw against 10-man United Arab Emirates. All right, thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture and entertainment in Beijing, a stage version of a classic Hollywood movie. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X-Men Days of Future Past. You are listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to The Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. 53 past the hour, turning to culture and entertainment, a Chinese stage adaptation of the 1994 Hollywood movie The Shawshank Redemption is holding its first round of performances in China. The play features an all-Western cast of Mandarin speakers. Directed by veteran Chinese actor-director Zhang Guali, it features 11 actors from eight countries, headlined by Mark Rosewell from Canada, who's better known among Chinese audiences by his Chinese name, Da Shan. The play is touring in Shanghai through Sunday before going to Beijing the following weekend. It, uh, its tour will extend to over 30 shows this year, and it's been 30 years since the premiere of the movie based on a Stephen King novella. An American classical musician has rocked the music scene in China. Chicago-born Sean Moore has lived in China for nearly a decade and has shared the stage with many famous Chinese artists. The violinist has also bridged the U.S. and er, bridged the U.S. and China through music education. Ding Suiwei has that story. Having first come to China in 2009 as an exchange student, Sean Moore was soon impressed by the colorful culture and the way of life he encountered in the country. This maiden tour planted the seed of his enduring connection with China. In 2014, he made a life-changing decision to settle in Beijing. China, especially its capital, is the place where his musical dream would take off. Beijing is a very special place. It's a place you come when you have purpose, I think. It's like they're, they're here to do something, um, and I like that. I like to be around people like that. So that's what's really kept me in Beijing. I am here to make the best music I can and share that with the world. He believes there are no limits to China's future musical landscape as it boasts so many talented people and has so many space to develop. I think there's a lot of space for people to reinvent what they're doing, to do new things, uh, to take the music in interesting directions, and I really enjoy that. I, I have a vision for the way that music uh, can grow here, and, and that I can play a small part in that. Um, I think I can contribute. Um, I'm given the space to do that, and I see the possibilities for growing um, as an artist in China. Um, 
I'm very fortunate people have been giving me opportunities. Besides sharing his music knowledge on social media, Sean has joined some innovative musical performances in China. This has given him the opportunity to cooperate with many top Chinese artists, including the world-renowned composer Tan Dun. We just did a performance in Hunan um, of, uh, on, on the theme of Mu Shu, which was really beautiful. We had a calligrapher, and we had traditional instruments, pipa and violin, and then electronic music, and then beautiful light design. So um, things like this, I think, really take the music and they can repackage it for audiences in a way that's more interesting for them um, than just hearing it in the old format. You preserve the old in a way, but you use it to inspire new ways of presenting. As an American artist, Sean has striven to build bridges of culture exchanges between the two countries. He believes music is a common ground between the two nations, regardless of their disagreements in some other areas. And that was Deng Xiaoyi on an American violinist story in his musical journey in China. Atomic bomb epic Oppenheimer leads the race for the British Academy Film Awards with nominations in 13 categories, including Best Film. Gothic Fantasia Poor Things received 11 nominations, while historical epic Killers of the Flower Moon and Holocaust drama The Zone of Interest had nine each. Barbie, the biggest 2023 box office winner, got five nods, but missed out on nods for Best Picture and Best Director. Organizers will announce the winners on February the 18th at a ceremony in London hosted by Doctor Who star David Tennant. We're at 58 past the hour now. Checking the forecast before we go for the day, and uh, Beijing is down to minus 5 on Friday evening. A Saturday will be cloudy with a high of 0. Nanchung will see a light rainfall with a low of 6 degrees tonight. Tomorrow's overcast in 8. Elsewhere in Asia, Islamabad's at 4 this evening, then sunny in 19 on Saturday. Vientiane's 20 overnight. Tomorrow's cloudy in 33. Phnom Penh's at 23 degrees this evening. It's cloudy in 35 tomorrow. In Africa, Nairobi is getting a light rainfall in 28 degrees on Saturday. Kampala will have a light rain in 21 this evening. That's followed by more rainfall with a high of 26. Juba's at 22 tonight. Tomorrow is sunny and 38 degrees. And that's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and Brazil are expressing willingness to enhance bilateral relations following five decades of diplomatic ties. And the UN expresses concerns over the exchange of military strikes between Pakistan and Iran. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together.